Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the mini break. Your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Sunday, May 28th. Before we get to today's show, I have to do two things. First is offer a massive thank you to every Cracked Rackets fan that tuned into our coverage of the 2023 NCAA Tennis Tournament. It was such a privilege for our team to be able to shine a spotlight on all of the high-performing student-athletes we see competing, not just in the Division One level, but Division Two, Division Three. It was an exceptional month of May. And again, we appreciate all of you Cracked Rackets fans, whether you were college tennis fans before or not. Just about all of you tuned in. We are greatly appreciative of that fact. We are greatly appreciative of the NCAA, the USTA, affording us this opportunity. It was extraordinarily draining, but an absolute blast. And again, something we hope to be doing much more of in the future. So again, a massive thank you to all of you Cracked Rackets fans. A massive thank you to the College Tennis Universe for embracing our Cracked Rackets madness and enjoying May Madness, the 2023 NCAA tournament, along with us. Of course, a shout out to all of the student-athletes who walk away with some hardware. Of course, most recently at the Division I level, it was the Virginia men, the UNC women earning team titles. It was Ethan Quinn, Fung run TN, your NCAA Division I singles champions, and then, of course, Fiona Crawley, Carson Tan Gillig of UNC, James Trotter, Andrew Luchanik of Ohio State, your NCAA Division I doubles champions. And I promise we're going to recap everything that happened in the month of May in the college tennis universe this week over on our Great Shot podcast feed. So rest assured, college tennis fans, we have to put a final bow on the 2023 season. We have not done so yet. We've got some final thoughts. We've got some crack rackets hardware to hand out our awards from the past season. Plenty of fun still left to be had with the 2023 college tennis year. So I promise we will be doing that over on the Great Shot podcast feed. That's part one of what I need to do before I get into today's episode. Part two, of course, is to the rest of you crack rackets fans. I sincerely appreciate your patience in the last lack of, or appreciate at least your lack of outrage, your lack of anger at me towards the lack of podcasts that we've produced on this feed in particular over the past month. I was really hoping I was going to be able to record daily podcasts about everything happening in Rome. I was really hoping we were going to get be able to get into our typical Grand Slam preview podcast, but look, what I learned, and it's something to note moving forward, how to better budget my time those NCAA broadcasts were all consuming. I mean, we had 17-hour days, 15-hour days, 12-hour days, anything less than double-digit hour days, that was considered a blessing. And look, I just don't want to be disingenuous with all of you Cracked Rackets podcast listeners here, particularly on the mini break. How can I offer updates on everything that happens each and every day if I'm not actually watching the tennis as it unfolds? And unfortunately, during the month of May, I was able to watch a lot of exceptional tennis None of it was happening at the pro level. That said, 
Boy, have I been on a pro tennis binge over the course of the past 24 hours. I am up to date on everything that happened in Rome. And while I'm not going to spend any time recapping that event, shout out to Elena Rabakina, Dino Medvedev, your singles champions. While I'm not going to recap their performances in Rome, we are going to recap each and every day of the 2023 French Open. And I have caught up on Rome. I have caught up on day one of this event. All of my perceptions, or excuse me, I feel as though I am prepared to share educated perceptions about what I see unfold each and every day, how I expect this second slam of the 2023 season to ultimately unfold. I'm prepared. I'm ready for the year's second major. I imagine many of you tennis fans are as well, and of course, as we always do during Grand Slams here on the mini break, what we want to do for all of you listeners each and every day is break down the biggest results. If you didn't get the chance to see everything, what should you go back? If not watch the full match of, then certainly watch highlights from. What matches should you look forward to over the next 24 hours of slam play as well? And as we know, the first week of Grand Slams, hundred round of 128 draws, you got what? 64 men's singles matches, 64 women's singles matches. Of course, the French Open spreads the first round over three days. So it's really five days of madness between the first and second rounds. It's a really fun start, as always, to each and every major. And again, we know it's our job here at Cracked Rackets to keep you up to date on everything that's happening as such. We're back on our grind over the course of this first week, I am going to bring on our cast of characters, the David Canes, the Gil Grosses of the world, the David Gertlers of the world. We'll take a 30,000-foot view at this second major of the year, talk about who the contenders are, because I do actually think a pretty clear list. I mean, look, I guess I'll do this quickly here at the start of the show as we get into things. A shout-out, as always, to our dear friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. I think there's a pretty clear-cut list. On the women's side, three names. I don't really have to make a tough argument for any of them as they're your three winners from the significant clay court events we've seen over the past two and a half months in Iga Svantec, Arena Sabalenka, and Elena Rabakina. That's your clear-cut top three. Now, everyone can have their list of how they uh, – their preference in terms of how they list those three names, but – if those aren't your top three names, it's not a serious list because 1-1 one, one Stuttgart, 1-1 one, one Madrid, 1-1 one, one Rome, and they've all looked exceptional in doing so, and they've all sustained this level, not just during the clay court portion of the season, but since the start of January. And with all due respect to Jessica Pagula, who I think probably has to be number four on the list, and then I think you have to put Barbara Krejcikova at five because if nothing else, she has shown the same level as the top three at some point this season, if even if she hasn't obviously come close to sustaining it the way those other three have. I think that's your pretty clear-cut top five. I think it has to be. For me, I'd go Iga one because I've seen her win this event twice. Sabalenka two, Rabakina three. If you want to put Sabalenka one over Iga, given the injury concerns for Iga coming into this event, I'm not going to argue with you too deeply. Again, where I really start to argue is if it's anyone but Iga, Sabalenka, and then I think Rapakin is the pretty clear-cut three. If anyone else is in your top three other than those three names, that's where I'd be like, all right, you have to make a very convincing case. And I do think Pagula has to be four because she's got the fourth most wins this season. When's the last time she lost before the quarterfinals of a significant event? It's happened so rarely. 
over the course, not just of this season, but over the course of the last 18 months, maybe even further back than the last 18 months. If you want to go to the start of 2021, that's fine too. I mean, yeah, Iga 1, Sabalenka 2, Rabakina 3, Pegula 4, Krejcikova 5. That's my top five women's contenders list. I think it's pretty clear cut. Now, obviously, Karolina Mukova beat Maria Sakkari today. She would have been near the top of my dark horse list. I'm telling you, when Victoria Azarenka is healthy, she's played exceptional ball this year. She just hasn't always been the healthiest. I, I think maybe she'd have snuck onto my list. I mean... I think I'm finally selling my Jill Teichman stock after her first round loss today in three sets. But if I were to go through dark horses just to do these quickly, and again, I'm going to do a full-throated 30,000-foot view podcast at some point this week. Potapova is someone who's outside the top 10 seed to obviously the level we've seen from her, the athleticism, the physicality, the weaponry. You feel like she can absolutely make a run into the second week, which I suppose qualifies as a dark horse performance given... Uh, excuse me, her lack of top 10 seed. How about Clara Tossin in round one and Ludmilla Samsonova, two power tennis players. In the year of the power tennis player, Tossin, Samsonova, when they're playing their best, and for Samsonova, she's been streaky to start this year. Tossin just hasn't been healthy in 15 months. I mean, for her to beat Sastovich 2-0 today, it was a beatdown. That was a match I made sure to watch. I know I'm getting into some round one things here, but... Yeah, I, I, Layla Fernandez, I guess, after her three-set win over Magda Lynette, but she's made the quarterfinals here. Does she really qualify as a traditional dark horse? I don't know. What's the theme been all year? Is that we have a pretty clear-cut top-tier forming in the women's game, and again, I think it's pretty clear-cut. Sviantek, Sabalenka, Rabakina is your top tier. Pagula, Krejcikova is the next tier. And then a lot of fun names that, sure, a golf or, again, I know I haven't said her, but she's not a dark horse. She, I've seen her make a final at this event. Absolutely can have success. Kuner Matova is starting to play a little bit better now. Kasakina got a good first-round win. The only clear-cut names are the top five, in my mind. After that, everything is typical WTA on the right day. Anything can happen in the best sort of way possible season. That's where I am right now, entering the women's draw on the men's side. Look, if you're a long-time mini-break listener, I've been on this beat since the start of the year, and really, obviously, since he rolled through the hard-court season. I said before we played a single clay court match, I thought Daniil Medvedev was going to have the best clay court season of his career. Obviously, his win in Rome, a testament to that fact. I think there's a pretty clear-cut top five on the men's side as well. Now, Djokovic, Alcaraz, 1-2 is a really fun argument to have, and I'm not going to have it with myself. I am going to have it with myself because internally I'm deliberating. Look, how can you pick against the pedigree of Djokovic? You saw what he did with a partially torn hamstring in Australia. Every Grand Slam, if he's healthy, runs through him, particularly when there's not a a healthy Rafael Nadal in the draw. Obviously, Rafa is not playing this year's French Open due to injury. It feels like the draw is wide open for the first time in a long time particularly given the fact that Djokovic didn't have a definitive Rome run or a definitive Madrid run or a definitive Monte Carlo run. He doesn't have that run of dominance that we saw in 2021 on his way to the French Open title. That said, three out of five sets, man. B 
beating Novak Djokovic on this surface, even though he lost to Rafa last year, the the level he played in that second set, two and a half you know sets of tennis he was playing. Yes, I've seen Alcaraz do it for two sets. I haven't seen him do it for three out of five at uh, at this event. You know, let's not forget Zverev beat him last year by just physically wearing him down. Now it's a year later. I also think again, Daniil Medvedev's playing exceptional tennis and. I know he's ready physically three out of five sets. His success on clay in the two out of three set format in the build up to this French Open only doubles down on my feelings of him being really good at the French Open just because physically the guy's a nightmare to deal with. And I don't care what surface you're on. If the format is beat me in three and a half hours, that's really hard to do against a ball machine in Daniil Medvedev who's just moving so much more comfortably on this surface. <sighs> I think Djokovic, Alcaraz, Medvedev, and obviously Holgaruna, who one of five players right now to rank top tw- uh, top fifteen, excuse me, in both hold and break percentage, excuse me, one of four. It's Djokovic, Alcaraz, Medvedev, Runa, and obviously he made the Rome final. I think Holger and I've uh, his best surface has always been clay. Go check the futures results, the challenger results, the junior results. The guy moves as well. I'll say that again. The guy moves as well as anyone on this surface right now in the game. He's just so comfortable sliding into the ball, changing direction uh, as a mover, changing direction with his ground strokes, employing the drop shot. His forehand is just such a more effective weapon. He's a good volleyer. Holgaruna is really freaking good, and that's not a revelation. But he's this good already. Perhaps that is. He belongs on that top uh, in the top five list. Fifth name is where it gets interesting. Do you go with a sinner who hasn't been healthy, but we know what his peak has been this season? Do you go with a Rublev who hasn't played a bad match on the clay all year long? You go with a guy like Hatchinov, who three out of five sets. We know what he's capable of, and he's actually confident heading into a slam for what the first time in five years and he's made the semifinals of the last two majors we've seen I know he got pushed to five sets in round one but physically again the guy is just a lock in an era where if you're gonna bet on something why not just bet on the guy who you know four hours later is gonna still be there (sighs) I'm going center on principle just because I think his upside's the highest of all those other names I'd go I want to offer a hot take and say Alcaraz but I just I need to see someone beat Djokovic three out of five before I can believe it. When's the last time he lost a three out of five set match? Nadal last year. Nadal ain't in the draw. Djokovic one, Alcaraz two, Medvedev three, Runa four, Sinner five. That'd be my list of top five contenders. Now again, you could argue Rublev making a semifinal at this point, just given his pedigree and the perceptions of him against other top guys, that would be a dark horse run. He's not a dark horse. He's a top eight seed. Hatchinov, again, not a dark horse. Struff, not a dark horse, though that's going to certainly be a popular pick, just given the run he's been on. Oh, I didn't say Tsitsipas, did I? Tsitsipas belongs in the five spot over Sinner. But I'm going to put it tied for fifth because Sinner's just such a wild card. And when he's healthy, I know what he's capable of. So I'll put Sinner, Tsitsipas tied for fifth. Tsitsipas has to be on that list. That was an oversight by me. I apologize, Tsitsipas fans. Yeah, look, I prefer an hour to flush these things out and look at records and look at break percentage, hold percentage, talk to you about the clay court pedigree. If I do that, it'll be a 17-hour podcast to catch up on everything. Dark Horses, 
Francisco Sarundolo, I mean, just his forehand, it's a missile. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If Sebi Court is healthy, he's played top 10 highest levels of tennis I've seen this year. I just don't know how healthy he's going to be. Nicolas Yari finally back in the top 40. If you have his serve, you have his forehand, his ability to play on his terms, you just have a shot in any match that you play. Yari will be a popular pick. How healthy is Jack Draper? If he is healthy, that's an interesting play. That's going to be fun to watch Dominic team. I don't know how much of a dark horse he actually is. But look, I guess those are my 30,000-foot views of where I am mentally entering this 2023 French Open. And perhaps, again, at A.L. Gruskin, at Cracked Rackets, let us know what you think about those lists. Top five on the women's side, I'll repeat it again. Iga, Sabalenka, Rabakina, Pagula, Krejcikova. It's a very plain list. Speaks to, again, how those top three have separated themselves from the rest of the field. On the men's side, Djokovic, Alcaraz, Medvedev, Runa, Sinner, Tsitsipas tied for fifth. I I think those are the top six guys entering this event. And, again, Tsitsipas should be ahead of Sinner, but... You know me. I gotta stay. I'm gonna hold my sinner stock till the very end, until until he wins a slam, and then I'll sell it because it won't be fun to be on the sinner train anymore. Because everyone will be on the sinner train at that point. With that said, healthy monologue. That's how you know we're back. That's how you know it's been a while here on the Mini Break Podcast feed. And again, the plan moving forward through the rest of this French Open: daily recaps, upsets, five setters, three setters, top seeds. Day ahead previews. I'm going to do it all for you each and every day. We'll have guests as this tournament moves along as well because I do want the perceptions of the broader tennis world. How are we feeling about everything as we approach the year's second major? With all that said, again, a shout-out as always to our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. Let's get into day one of the 2023 French Open. If I'm being honest, it's a pretty plain day. Like... Yes, Karolina Mukova beat Maria Sakkari. And yes, that's an upset on paper. And yes, I'm going to spend some time today talking about that match. Is it particularly shocking, per- particularly given the scoreline, Mukova 6-5 and five over the eighth-seeded Maria Sakkari? I don't think it is particularly shocking when you look at the fact that, A, analytics-wise, here in 2023, Karolina Mukova, one of uh, 10 players right now, on the WTA Tour to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage, Maria Sakkari, while top 25 in hold percentage, not top 25 in break percentage. Analytics would favor Mukova over Sakkari in that match. Even Tennis Abstract called it a 55-45 match, despite Sakkari being the eighth seed in this event. And then, of course, you look at the track record. Carolina Mukova has made a Grand Slam semifinal in her career. You look for Mukova, who, of course, you know, 26 years old, has had a bunch of different injuries over the course of the past year, but past two years, really. But 2021 Australian Open semifinalist, quarterfinalist twice at Wimbledon. Now, she's never made it past that third round at the French, so maybe given the fact that Sakari is a former French Open semifinalist in that sense is, was a little bit surprising, but look, there's a lot of similarities between these two players. They're both exceptional athletes, both strong, fluid, 
I think Carolina Mukova has a more diverse shot selection available to her in her ability to play backhand slice, play drop shot. I think she's a more comfortable volleyer. That said, I do think the serve, the plus one forehand of Maria Sakari, was the most reliable pattern in this match. That said, that lack of creativity, I don't want to say lack of creativity, but that lack of ability to hurt Mukova in multiple ways, it ultimately did Sakari in throughout the course of this match. Mukova's 23 winners to Sakari's 16. Sakari's 35 unforced errors to Mukova's 29. You also look Mukova 17 of 24 at the net. Sakari just 5 of 13. Mukova was able to hurt Sakari in more ways throughout the course of this match. I thought in particular she did a great job of playing her backhand slice down the line. Because that Maria Sakari forehand is extraordinarily potent in rhythm, but you saw throughout the course of this match, whether it was on her way to working her way back from that 3-1 break deficit in particular and getting that break back, she just threw in a couple of change-ups, a couple of slices down the line, you know, where Sakari had to play with her contact point and kind of pulled out of that forehand, which she'll tend to do from time to time, pulls up out of it, and that's when the errors would be produced. And then, you know, again... Sakari would get a little bit tentative. She'd play the slice back. That's when Mukova pounces on you because she can play the slice approach, the drop shot approach. She can get on top of the ball, take it on the rise inside out and close things out at the net as she did again. Uh, Carolina Mukova, 17 of 24 at the net in this match. It was extraordinarily close. Six and five battle. Both of them were break and serve. I don't want to say with ease, but both of them were pretty comfortable in every service uh, as returners and had looks in every game. And yet... Again, it was the totality of things that Carolina Mukva can continue to do that push her through in the end. And look, it's an upset in the sense it's it's a tough loss for Maria Sakari to take. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And you look for Maria Sakari, who continues to sustain a top 10 ranking, despite the fact that she continues to have some struggles at the slams, particularly of late. You look for Sakari, hasn't made it to a quarterfinal since 2021. She's lost third round or or sooner in her last five majors. She's been a top 12 seed in all of those majors. Like Obviously, again, she is not holding seed right now, and I suppose 30,000-foot view, if this is her window to go on big slam runs, I mean, now with the emergence of Rabakina, Sabalenka, and obviously Iga at this tier of their own, they're going to be the three frontrunners for three of the semifinal spots. Who's going to be that fourth best player? And Sakura just hasn't had the consistency of a Pagula, the peak the peak performance of a Krejcikova. The, I mean, those are the two names I would point to most pertinently. But yeah, it's a tough loss because there's a lot, you know, again, that Mukova through Sakari is in the mix. Like that all those, that there's a group of players all equal in level there. It's both a positive because us as fans are treated to really fun first round matches like this. For Sakari, who's continued to maximize her serve, her forehand, turn them into weapons. She's improved them in what? Each of her first seven seasons on the Pro Tour. What's left to maximize? What's the next adjustment for her to find that extra percent moving forward? Because you're not going to find someone more fit is it mental? Is it physical? Or, you know, again, is it uh, tactical? It's, it's Sometimes it can't get so one speed, and you just wonder why she doesn't try to grind matches out more thoroughly, why she does feel the need to, or, you know, not rely on that physicality. 
It's a fair question to ask. Obviously, again, a great win for Karolina Mukova, who after all the injuries is finally working her way back into the top 50. Back up now to number 43 is Mukova, but perhaps most importantly, you look for her in the 2023 points race. Karolina Mukova even higher than that. She's currently sitting uh, right now at number 23 in the points race. You look at her tennis abstract ELO rating-wise. Karolina Mukova right now in terms of 2023 specific results ranks 13th. In terms of overall ELO rating, Carolina Mukova 19th. I think that's more accurate. I do think she's a top 20 player. Again, this is a really bad draw for Maria Sakari. Uh, that said, you got to win this sort of match to get through in a major. And unfortunately, Sakari unable to do so. Mukova through to round number two, where, of course, next up she will face Nadia Podoroska, who earned a comprehensive two-in-love win over Jessica Ponchet of France. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Again, you look at the upsets, three seeds knocked out. I don't know how dramatic any of them were. Layla Fernandez, six three one six six three over Magda Lynette. Layla played good ball. Like, the serve sprayed on her a little bit, nine double faults throughout the course of the match. And yet, she was the steadier of the two players. And you could just tell the pressure Magda Lynette felt to generate more uh, pace and play more aggressively from the baseline. Because Layla Fernandez catches the ball early, and beats you to the spot about as well as anyone we have right now in the women's game. That ability to catch her forehand just a little bit early and redirect it down the line or beat you to a spot cross court and still get outside of the ball while maintaining her drive through it. It's extraordinarily impressive. And I know injuries and a variety of other factors have slowed her ascent relative to where we thought she would be following that 2021 U.S. Open level and run to the final. But 20 winners against 24 unforced airs against someone as steady as Magdalenette, who makes 40 unforced airs in the match. You know, uh, Fernandez, 13 of 21 at the net. She manages to uh, fight off, excuse me, only faces six break points while generating 13 for herself. Look, it was a tight match. Magdalenette made things physical, but... Fernandez just puts so much pressure on you, makes you uncomfortable, that Lynette had to find a gear she wasn't capable of on this particular day. Um, you know, that's not what Magda Lynette wants to be doing. She wants to be absorbing, redirecting your own, uh, her opponent's pace, and, you know, Fernandez was just better at it. And so credit to Leila Fernandez, threw in three sets, and, you know, now you look for Leila Fernandez, you beat the seed in your section the draw somewhat opens up. She's got Belinda Bencic as her seed big picture. If she tries to make a second week push, her second round matchup against the big hit in Clara Tossin, who again dominated Sasnovich today. That's popcorn. That's blockbuster. That is one of your matches of the second round. That's going to be very, very fun to watch. Uh, other upset on the day again: Magdalena Freak knocks out Zheng Shui one and one. Zheng Shui's been banged up all year long like did not play her best level that's really all I have to add to that match only three seeds again knocked out day number one Sakari the big one obviously she's a top eight seed that said we've seen this level from Carolina Mukova that's why I'm not particularly shocked Fernandez three set win Magdalena Freak one and one over Jung Shui men's side again even less notable from an upset perspective. Yes, Dan Evans has Monte Carlo quarterfinal runs here or semifinal on clay there, but is it impactful to the draw 30,000-foot view to lose Dan Evans early in this event? No, I don't think it changes the course of how this French Open unfolds. And, man, credit to Tenassi Kokonakis, 4-4-4. Four, four, four. I mean, 
he dusted him. It wasn't particularly close between the two on the day. Credit to Kokonakis, who, you know, from a statistics standpoint, 46 winners to Evans, 26. 26 unforced errors to Evans, 23. Everything was on Tenassi's terms. He won 79% of his first serve points. He won 62% of his second serve return points. Converted 5 of 13 breakpoint chances. 8 of 15 at the net. Was unfazed by the Dan Evans slice and dice. Was patient. Used that time to run around the ball. Get first forehand. Spread the court. Open up his patterns. Tenassi dusted him. Like just Evans could not penetrate the court. Everything was on Kokonakis' serve forehand combination. It's a really good win for Tenassi. Now has been healthy for about a year, year and a half, pretty consecutively with this win. Back up to number 108 in the live rankings. Obviously, uh, got to get in the top 100 with grass season coming up because he's a guy who has weapons, who has the sort of game style. Could have a really big run at a Queens club in a hollow, whatever it may be, to set up perhaps a second, third round one at Wimbledon, which not only provides the points, but provides a healthy paycheck as well. Again, not particularly shocked by Kokonakis over Evans. Not particularly shocked by Sinego over Shelton as well. Just the experience on the red clay, the experience in three out of five set format. Look, Ben got a lot of good matches in, got a lot of good repetitions in what was his first European clay court swing. And to even get a set in this match, you know, 6-4-3-6-6-3-6-3 win for Sinego. There were a lot of breaks in this one. 11 breaks between two guys who can bomb first serves. That said, you look for Ben, 13 double faults. Made only 58% of his first serves. Won just 35% of his second serve points. 49 unforced errors against just 26 winners. He sprayed. You know, there he... He pressed. He wasn't comfortable on this surface. He was, you know, Sinego was making him uncomfortable. He was struggling to deal with the pace of Sinego's ball. The adjustment was to raise his aggression, and that's when the error count uh, was risen. And look again, it's year one on clay. I think if you're grading Ben, you probably give him a B, like a B plus. There was no outstanding result. That said, there's certainly a lot to build on moving forward. And that was really the thing is to see, does his serve translate? How does he build off of the kick? What new patterns does he need to employ given the challenges presented by the slowing down of the surface by, you know, again, it's a little harder to change direction. How is his movement? I thought that was the big thing is he has a future as a mover on clay, even if at times he does look like a fish out of water. Right now, you can see the fluidity, the first, you know, the push off of his first step, that ability to slide comfortably out of shots, and it's just about learning how to slide in them, which you hope he will with more repetitions. Sinego should have won this match. He did. That's why, again, two upsets on the day. Sinego knocking out Shelton. Kokonakis knocking out Evans. I don't think either is particularly shocking overall. I also think when you look at the matches that went the distance overall on the day, is anything going to—it was a pretty blah day one of results. I mean, you look at the matches that went the distance. We had nine overall, four for the women, five for the men. I'm selling my Jill Teichman stock. I mean, I'll do respect to Sarah Ronnie, but it's just so up and down from Teichman, and as high as the ups can be, it's just— the delta between the level we see in any given game, let alone any given match. I'm not selling it all, but again, I just, it, it's a lot of area. It's been the same story now for three years. So Irani three sets over Teichman. 
Jean Jean, shout out to College Tennis, three set win over Burrell. Uh, Sanders in a scoreline you'd expect it from the start. Four six six two six four over Parisas Diaz. Shaimanovic six seven six three six one over Rudvardi. That's an impressive victory, and you know again, just solidifies her spot moving forward. Getting more WTA repetitions, getting more Slam repetitions. On the men's side, a couple of top seeds push the distance. Top seeds, top sixteen. I think that counts. Karen Hatchinov down two quick sets, just wasn't serving well forehand was spraying on him there was no consistency and then he leveled the ship three six six one six six two six one six three the biggest compliment I can give to Hatchinov is again he just doesn't go away physically three hours 41 match uh, minutes his level improved as the match progressed ultimately ends up making 66 percent of his first serves hitting 15 aces generating 23 break points for himself you know after a disastrous first two sets where you look set number one 11 winners, 9 unforced errors. Set number 2, 6 winners, 12 unforced errors. He finishes the match plus 7 overall. 57 winners against 50 unforced errors. Just the weight of his shot, the weight of his serve, the inability of constant Lestian to consistently generate free points and free opportunities for himself against Hatchinov. Hatchinov was able to separate, as the best players in the world do, it's the sort of win, again, good players need early in an event to sort of you escape, you get your back against the wall. It just wakes you up. It refocuses you. Hatchinov needed it. He got it. How about Hubi Hercots? How many times have we seen him lose a first-round match like the one he had against David Goffin? In the end, Hercots, 6-3-5-7-6-4-2-6-6-4. 13 aces, won 75% of his first serves despite making fewer than 60% of his first serves. 47 winners against 48 aces, 23 of 31 at the net. Now credit to Gofen who took the net away from Hercots, 33 of 37 overall. That was his game plan. It was what everyone's game plan is against Hercots. Pressure, pace, through the Hercots forehand, make Kubi pass you. I don't know. They weren't the longest rallies. It wasn't the most physical match. There was a lot of net, you know, a lot of moving forward, a lot of, yeah, a lot of like plus one tennis, a lot of who can get the first strike and force the other player to hit something on the full stretch. Kratopi Hercot stayed the course. Again, has been in this scenario a lot of different times. We've seen him fall short in that scenario uh, far too frequently. Can't can't make the second week until you make the second round. Hubi Hercots into the second round with his five-set victory. Uh, that one was notable. Nuno Borges, second win at a major. He served for the match, got broken by Isner at 5-4 in the fifth. Had a mini-break lead, gave it back. Nine all in the turn in the fifth-set breaker. Ultimately, Borges 11-9. He prevails uh, to knock out Isner 7-6 in the fifth set. Shout out to our guy Nuno. As always, shout out College Tennis. Jason Kubler, 6-1 in the fifth. Greek Spore, 6-3 in the fifth. Those were your matches that went the distance. Again, it was a pretty straightforward day. Getting to the top seeds, they all looked the part. Arena Sabalenka was down a quick 3-1 to Marta Kostyuk, or maybe, excuse me, was down a quick break. It was either 3-1 or 3-2. She won 10 of the next 12 games. 6-3-6-2. Obviously, with the ongoing conflict and war unprovoked, Russia against Ukraine, you know, Belarus's support of Russia in that conflict. Marta Kostyuk did not shake Arena Savalenka's hands. You completely understand why. From a tennis perspective, Arena Savalenka, she looks like Sam. Uh, what's left to say? Like, she overwhelms you. 
her pace is better than yours, and she hits it comfortably. She moves better than anyone should her size on this surface. I mean, again, to be that tall and so fluid and so powerful. Yeah, she's a favorite, as is Jessica Pagula, who got up an early break on Danielle Collins in the first, never looked back, got up an early break on Collins in the second, and just, you know, outside of Danielle Collins blasting a first or second shot winner, Pagula had her on, on a string. She just couldn't hurt Pagula. Pagula looked like a top five contender. The problem is the top three all looked like the world number one. So strong start for Jessica Pagula. She's through four and two. I thought Julian Niemeyer was going to beat Daria Kasakina. Kasakina just sliced, diced, found enough angles. More importantly, got Niemeyer out of the center of the court. Three and four straight set win. Good win for the defending quarterfinalist. I mean, talk about you want some dark horses, power players, Samsonova and Chinwen. 0-1 win for Samsonova, 3-1 win for Chinwen. Look, when those two are at their best, they take the racket out of their opponent's hands. I'm on Samsonova, Chinwen watch because, again, if they're playing like this level, Valiance is a horrible matchup. Samsonova is a horrible matchup for Valiance because she just doesn't have a weapon to hurt Samsonova. If you don't have a weapon to hurt Samsonova, she's going to crush you. It's a really good win for Chin Wen, who, let's not forget, took Ika 3 here last year. They're two to watch, where if they end up in a quarter, or they're that fourth player in the semi, it's because they just got hot. And that power tennis can be overwhelming. Potapova, again, Taylor Townsend just didn't have the power to hit through Potapova. Her angles work great against someone who doesn't move as well, isn't as fluid, and so bad matchup for Townsend. Tough day for Americans overall, but... Potapova looked the part, Bagoo, Mertens, each straight set winners, and then I think notably Tossin, Rakimova, Georgie, excuse me, Tossin, Georgie, Podoroska, they dropped a combined seven games overall. Those are all players whose peak level are absolutely second week worthy at this event, and then Sharif, Rakimova, straight set winners, those are your 20 overall results on the women's side. Wasn't as straightforward for the men. That said, again, people were perhaps, I don't even want to say pushed. They were slightly tested before ultimately getting through in terms of the other seeds. I mean, Tsitsipas, four sets over Vesley. Vesley's a big lefty with a big serve against the Tsitsipas backhand, even on this surface, that's going to create matchup difficulties at time. And yet, Tsitsipas fights off a set point. In that fourth set breaker, Vesley, a horrible decision to hit a terrible drop shot up 6-5 in that fourth set breaker. Tsitsipas tracks it down, puts it away, closes out the match. His serve, his forehand, I don't care about the surface. They're the real deal, and obviously physically we know what he's capable of at majors. Two-time slam finalist speaks for itself. Rublev threw in four. He played a bad second set, immediately steadied the ship. His backhand's just good now. I don't know how else to say it. What is notable, Lorenzo Musetti. Straight set win over Michael Emer. That's probably the best match he's played all season from start to finish. And Sebi Korda hasn't looked this healthy in forever. He gets a 4-5-4 and four win over an always tricky Mackie McDonald, even on this surface. Look, those are two guys, Korda, Musetti, win healthy. We know what their peak levels are capable of. We just haven't seen it in a while. And I don't want to say we saw them peak today, but... We saw them play their best tennis. We see we saw them play better tennis, I should say, than we have in quite some time. In terms of the other results, a bunch of unseeded wins. Straight set win for Luca Pui. Nice to see him back in the slam winner circle. Ugo Umber, Roberto Carbeas Baena, and Sebastian Ofner. 
your straight set winners. Four set winners, man, the Alex Shevchenko top 100 push is just real. Shevchenko, three set, uh, four sets, excuse me, over Oscar Ota. Quarantine Moutet wins the Battle of Frenchmen. He knocks out the youngster. Arthur Cazot in four. Arnaldi threw in four. Fucevic threw in four. And then Radu Elbot, your final winner of the day. He gets a four-set win over young American Patrick Kipson. That's everything from day number one. Again, they spread things out a little bit here early. You got uh, 20, I think it's what, like, there's 64 total first-round matches. They do 20 men's and women's on Sunday. I think they do 22 now each on Monday and Tuesday for the men and women. So 44 matches tomorrow, 44 matches the next day. We got plenty of mini-break content coming your way, folks. I promise. And I do feel like, I don't know, I thought this pod might go longer for some reason. That speaks to what was a pretty straightforward day uh, to kick off the 2023 French Open. That said, only going to get better moving forward. And we got some doozies on the schedule as you look at day number two. I got eight men's and women's matches that I think you should clear the schedule for. It's Memorial Day, by the way. You should have all day. Well, you got the barbecue outside, so maybe you throw tennis on somewhere in the background. On the women's side, I love the para Conteve match. Bernarda Para is just one of my favorites to watch. The lefty, the racket speed. She always just... The match is always tight, sometimes maybe tighter than it should be. But look, what is Annette Conteve's level? Where's her game? Where is she mentally, physically at this point? I think that's a significant question to ask. I look forward to seeing it answered. I think that's a really fun first-round test. I think there's a lot of other good ones as well. Vekic Yastremska, it's going to be big hitting. Keys Kanepi, big hitting. The physicality of Trevisan versus Svitolina, who's coming off of her best week in a while. Last week, what was that? Geneva, I saw it. I uh, don't think I wasn't paying attention, but, man, that match has two and a half hours written all over it. Uh, Fruvertova versus Pavelchenkova. You know, again, Linda Fruvertova or Brenda, I, I think it's Linda, one of the most exciting young players. Pavelchenkova, French Open finalist. Let's roll the balls out, see who's got the higher level. Vandrusova Parks, talk about a contrast of styles. Pliskova Stevens, pedigree. How about Peyton Stearns versus Katarina Sinyakova? Again, Peyton Stearns, the two-time NCAA team champion, last year's NCAA singles champion, the former University of Texas standout now into the top 100. Her serve, her forehand, they're the real deal. I'm excited for Stearns and Yakova. And then on the men's side, I mean, again, there's a bunch of good ones. Shapo versus Nakashima, two guys who have had bleh 2023 years. It's the start of a major. Let's roll the balls out. Who's got the higher level? Djokovic, Kovacevic, I mean, that's obviously Alexander Kovacevic is a dear friend of ours here at Cracked Rackets. It's going to be, he's going to swing, but obviously Novak is freaking Novak. That one's going to be fun. Struf Lechechka for the nerds, Davidovic, Fokina, Fees for the nerds, Demonauer, Ivashka for the physicality, Draper, Echeverry, because that one's just going to be darn good tennis. Zapata, Morales for Schwartzman. If you like grinds, that's for you. And then how about RBA versus Ibing Wu? How that? How's that one going to end? Your guess is as good as mine. It's a fun day, too. And, of course, we will be back tomorrow to recap all of the action. Again, a thank you to all of you Crack Rackets fans who took the time to tune in to our coverage of the 2023 NCAA tournament. We know it knocked our focus off of all things in the of the pro tennis world uh, for the past couple of weeks. But we're back. We're locked in. 
We're refocused. We got you covered for what we know is going to be an exciting second major of the 2023 season. With that said, of course, as always, a shout out to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the fuck of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.